Chains A Counterpoint to a Christmas Carol Written and read by Ian Hales Chapter 13 Another Life The world turned to ink and paper the candle flared and the lines danced around them again, and Marley was forced very quickly to take the white lady's advice, have a seat at the base of the candle and hang on. He felt his stomach flip and closed his eyes to see if that made any difference to the situation. It didn't, and he fought back the nausea gamely. When he opened his eyes, Marley found that they were now in a snow-covered park at dusk, and they'd been joined by the younger Scrooge, yet older than before, in the prime of his life, and a young woman in a morning dress who glowed in the half-light and reflection of the candle. The candle's warmth soothed Marley, and did in fact make him feel a little more steady, as if the alcohol was evaporating from out of his being. He had to say that he rather enjoyed the sensation of coming back to sobriety with such rapidity. The young man Scrooge was handsome, much like the Scrooge he knew way back when they first met. The features that were to be twisted into cruelty were strong and fine, like some haughty Roman senator. But like a politician, there was a calculating look in the eye, a flickering gaze that lighted upon every object and calculated its worth, the one place on which the eye did not alight. And yet it seemed that the young lady only had eyes for Scrooge, and as she gazed, a sparkling drop of moisture fell from her eye. It splashed and shattered onto the floor, sending shards of light everywhere, and forcing Marley back behind the candle once more, for fear of being caught in the light. He listened to their discourse. "'Another has your love, Ebenezer,' said the young lady. I wish it were not so. I love no other than you, Isabel, said the young Scrooge. The voice was distant and distracted. I have been replaced by a golden idol, my dear, said the woman. You love your money more than you could ever love any woman. Marley heard a cry, a strangled sound of frustration and suppressed anger from the younger Scrooge. The older Scrooge was not so restrained. He laughed a cold, sharp laugh outright. If I loved money, why, it's her that made me so, he said. You made me so, echoed his younger self. You condemn me for pursuing wealth. Yet it was not for material wealth I work. It's for you, the wealth of your love, the bounty of your smile. Our contract was made when we were poor, and we vowed to wait until, in good season, we could improve our worldly fortune by patient industry. What have I done but honour that contract? Show me how I've been remiss. You have been most diligent, my love. But how I regret the change your industry has wrought in you, she said. What time for love can there be when you work so hard? Why, even now... You and Mr. Marley are talking about setting up office together. How long will that take you away from us? 
You will not settle on a date even for our wedding, Ebenezer. Marley jumped at the mention of his name. Isabel? Bell? he whispered. Why, this cannot be her. I never met her, of course, but Scrooge told me of her. She was a, a harridan, a, a gold digger, and he had been ever glad that he had been able to find a legal way out of his agreement with her. The white lady looked down at Marley, smiled, and put her finger to her lips. I'll book the church immediately, said Scrooge's younger self. I'll tell Marley he must put off our partnership. Hang what he says to me. If he says, Ebenezer, I'll never do business with you again. I'll blacken your name in the city. I'll, I'll run you out of credit and creditability. Why, I'll, I'll take it. I'll tell you, Belle, I will take it. I do no such thing, said Marley to himself. I'd have done no such thing. In fact, I'd have liked to have been given the chance. But Marley wondered. Was that true? Could he honestly say that he never, even in jest, even in the heat of setting up the counting-house with a young and rather brilliant Ebenezer, given any indication that anything rather than total focus on the project at hand was due? Perhaps he did joke that there was no time for romance. And did his literal friend take him at face value? To be honest with himself, he could not rightly remember. Yes, Ebenezer, I'm sure you would, tonight, take any scorn that Mr. Marley may give out. But what about tomorrow, or next week, when the financial papers land at our door, or the week after that, when our bank balance dips below some arbitrary level that you prescribe, she said. You'd be back to working twice as hard and twice as distant as ever before. The mist at Marley's throat thickened, wound a tendril around his chest, and reached for his waist. "'Don't say that,' said the young Scrooge. "'You do not deny it, my love,' said Isabel. "'And so I release you from your promise, as much to save you from my unhappiness as me from yours.' "'No!' Three voices rang out. Scrooge, his younger self, and Marley, all were of the same mind in the moment. Yes, she counted. And I release you with a full heart, for the love of him you once were. The candle flared, and the scene redrew itself once more, lines dancing in the air before them. Marley realised that he now felt almost completely sober. The light of the candle had indeed worked its magic on him, although he was now positively wreathed from head to foot in miasmic mist, which he took to be the one side effect of his rapid recovery. It was as if the alcohol was sweating out of his very being in the form of a fog, which in its turn lent Marley the air of an overexcited cart-horse. Yet for all the drunkenness had passed off him with supernatural efficiency, he'd also started to feel on the edge of being a little too dry of mouth, a little too heavy of head, that is the precursor of the debt of drink, that all but the most fortunate seem to have to pay. This feeling was not helped in the slightest by a sudden shriek of an infant which cut across the air like a freshly wetted knife. 
It seared into a sudden fissure of Marley's head and burned its ice-cold pain straight into his very marrow. They were in another place and room, and by the Lord, it was loud. For hard on after the cry of the infant came the tumultuous barrage of what sounded to Marley's ears to be a mean gross of children, each laughing and larrikin, squealing and screeching, bellowing and bawling with all its individual might. The ensuing sound and general demeanour was not unlike a genial ransacking of a town by a troop of hyperactive monkeys. In amongst all this noise and ruckus sat the figure of a woman, well-dressed, with a tiny bundle in her arms. Unbothered by the games that went on around her, Marley recognised her at once as the young lady that Scrooge had failed to marry. She was older now, perhaps a little plumper, but the sadness had gone from her eyes, replaced with gentle and loving looks towards this little charge in her arms. The whole room smelled of Christmas, and as it rolled over him, Marley felt the sickness rise in him once again. Now, if you were to smell the odour of this room yourself, you would no doubt find it pleasant, packed full as it was with the myriad scents and aromas of a house of slightly more than modest means, which had at last launched itself on celebrating Christmas in earnest. There was the tang of oranges and the crackle of burning peel in the fire, the hot spice of the pudding awaiting its second steaming, but given its pride of place in the centre of a spread, mingled in with the salt and fat of bacon and eggs, warming the air and adding its savoury tones to the mix. The sweet ghosts of hot chocolate and peanut brittle attested to their short but appreciated life in the hands of the children, and the children themselves glowed and gave off a light smell of sweat and happiness that comes from just enough comfort and perhaps a little too much exercise. The urge to vomit welled up in Marley once more, which was not helped in the slightest by the sudden and violent reappearance of his chains. With an audible thud, and all at once the mist around him solidified into the chains once more and bore down upon his body. The sudden weight brought him to his knees, and evidently it also registered with the white lady, whose grip on the candle-holder had to rapidly compensate for Marley's sudden extra bulk. The unfettered movement gone, the lightness of being gone, the freedom from the constant scraping and clanking gone, gone, gone! All in a moment the old torture had thumped back into existence, as cold and as hard as ever before, and Marley fancied even heavier than in his remembrance. Surely that must be a trick of his senses. The chains couldn't add to their bulk, could they? But they did seem a little more chunky, a little more resistant to movement. Marley prayed that it was not so. A man entered to cry as a father, with another behind, and no sooner were they through the lintel, but they were borne by sudden deluge of children to the heart of the room, where they were required to give up the ransom, and a large ransom it was, of Christmas boxes and presents for all. The horde fell upon the gifts like a pride of lions upon their prey, and took no time in rending the bows and paper into excited pieces, scattering them all to the air, and displaying the discovered trinket, be it cloth doll, hobby horse, or bat and ball, with pride unalloyed. Marley knew that Scrooge would hate this, in nothing but contempt for children in the street, and to see this ragged brood of good stock behaving like savages would no doubt needle the old curmudgeon to distraction. And yet Marley couldn't see him. 
He drew himself up to standing once more, carefully, and walked slowly to the edge of the dish of the candle holder and peered around. Scrooge was nowhere to be seen. Suddenly panicked that the white lady had left him behind in the last place they'd visited, he looked up to her and saw that she was laughing. How callous! How dare she! To have lost her charge, and to pay so little mind to it as well. But it was only when he truly followed her gaze that he saw a remarkable sight. Scrooge was sitting cross-legged on the floor. Scrooge! In amongst the children he was, and laughing as hard as the best of them, Scrooge, throwing piles of paper into the air and stealing time with unattended toys. Scrooge, Scrooge was playing? Marley could hardly believe it, but there it was. Scrooge was setting up an army of little tin figures and arraying them against a farmyard being constructed by a ruddy-cheeked young lad. Could the child see Scrooge? Marley was not at all sure but he could see the advancing tin army and took the offensive with a pair of wooden chickens. The chickens easily routed the redcoats, and both boy and man laughed at the simple absurdity of this game. Eventually, and thankfully for Marley's poor throbbing head, the tumult died down a little. Some of the children dozed in drifts of paper and toys, whilst others sat and played quieter. The buzz of the room had abated enough to hear the quiet conversation of the parents. "'I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon, my love.' Scrooge looked up. It must have been the first time that he'd properly looked at the man, for there was recognition in his face immediately. "'Who was it?' Almost the very question that had formed in Marley's mind had sprung from Isabel's lips, and as if in answer to his former love, Scrooge replied, "'Wilkins,' he said. "'Chay, something or other Wilkins. "'I was at school with him. His, "'His family owned, well, quite a large part of the South Downs.' "'Is that so?' asked the young lady. "'You see,' said Scrooge, standing violently, "'scattering toys and setting the child that he'd been playing alongside to crying. "'There was a man who could love her and keep her all at once. "'Money came to him as simply as air comes to the rest of us.' "'Take me away. I would be here no more.' Marley cursed his old partner, for in his sudden rage he was talking over the man Wilkins' reply. Evidently it was Scrooge himself who he'd spied during the day, and moreover there was sad news of his partner, Jacob Marley. "'Even now,' thought Marley, "'I'm alive in this world. "'On the brink of death, perhaps, but still alive. It had not until this very moment occurred to him to seek himself out during his trip to the past, content to piggyback upon Scrooge's history as he was. But now he remembered those awful weeks in the run-up to the last Christmas Eve he would ever see. The pain, the sores, the wish for all this to be over and quickly. That was happening now, he realised, and in theory he hid and in theory he still had some little time to rush to his own deathbed and plead with his aching body to ask for forgiveness, to confess his sins, to turn his eyes to the light and away from the dark, to do whatever it may take to escape the dreaded chains. But he knew that in truth such a thing was impossible, that once a life is lived, 
There can be no changing it. He thought of the book that must lie in the underground caverns of the library in the world backstage of the world of the living. The book with his name printed upon the spine. His ledger of debt of feeling. His debt of kindness. His debt of humanity. There could be no paying that back now. No last-minute recall of the books for rebalancing or appeals. His account stood. I cannot bear it. I cannot bear it, he said. There was a strange echo in his words, and he slumped once more to his knees in the dish of the candle holder. He felt a shadow fall over him and looked up. It was Scrooge, looking down on him. He was sure that Scrooge must have seen him there, abject, weeping. Were it, n it was Scrooge looking down upon him. He was sure that Scrooge would have seen him there, abject, weeping were it not for the fact that his old partner was also crying copious tears. As soon as the light was doused, Marley found that he was once more back on a stage set, with the red curtain gently kissing the boards. The children and parents were no more than canvas and wood facsimiles, as was Scrooge. He felt his chain tighten, and he was lifted from the holder, "'Shall we get you back to your usual size?' said the white lady. Marley nearly nodded. He kept his eyes closed as the magic worked upon him. He felt his knees touch the floor, and then his hands, and then he opened his eyes and found himself amongst the painted toys and children in almost the same place that Scrooge had been in his innocent play.' And now, said the white lady, I think a cup of tea is in order. She frowned at him for a moment and then asked, What was your name again, sweet one? I'm afraid I seem to have forgotten. Chains, a counterpoint to a Christmas carol, is a production of the Dark Side of the Spoon podcast. Its copyright is to Ian Hales, so share it as much as you like, but don't copy it and don't claim it's yours. That would be really naughty, and Krampus might come and get you if you do that. Why not go and join the Chains, a counterpoint to a Christmas carol group, or indeed the Dark Side of the Spoon group on Facebook? Get involved, tell us what you think, and... See you later on the dark side of the spoon.